Hello, everybody out there. This is Tyler. And I'm Danny. Welcome to Fried Squirms. Dude, we about to get blunted. Dude, yeah, hell yeah. Fried Squirms, we're going to get stoned, talk with you guys about horror movies. Today's movie is Creep 2014. I know we're excited. I'm even more excited because we're about to hit our green hits for the day. Yeah, we about to get high. And I got a special little surprise. The dispensary I go to just down the way quite often, Top Shelf, mentioned them before. Their little rewards program is like you spend 750 total in store, you get a free 75. I went down there today to buy some pre-rolls, and they're like, oh, you hit your bonus. The only problem with your bonus, you can save it to one whenever you want to use it, but you have to use it all at one time. Gotcha. And I was like, all right, well, let's throw a couple of these on here. So today, Danny, what me and you are going to be taking down during this episode, two gram palm leaf wrapped very berry blunts. <laughs> I'm excited. Very berry is a combination of strawberry cough and super silver haze, I believe makes it a hundred percent pure sativa. Awesome. Bit herbly, bit piney, bit citrusy. Mostly, I'm curious to see how this palm wrap is going to burn. Yeah, likewise. But regardless, we're going to enjoy it. I've had very berry a number of times. Always enjoy it. That's what I'm curious of. I did pick up like some other stuff too, but now I'm just going to smoke those throughout <laughs> the week. Like, got some Lemonhead OG. Nice. Got I don't know something else. What is it? Oh shit! Yeah, you got a little souvenir bag. Yeah. Oh, purple glue. That was the other nice. one I picked up. I was just like. Oh, I still got some money I need to spend? All right, give me an eighth of purple glue. Hell yeah, fuck yeah, dude. That's awesome. So that'll be nice throughout the week, but oof. I know, that's magoof. We've got some beasters over here, dude. This is going to be fun. Let's spark up, get a save, and then we'll get into the guts and bolts. Gut and bolt? (laughs) Of creep. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts for creep. Who and what went into the making of this movie? Start off with a spoiler-free setup. A terminally ill man hires a filmographer to follow him around for a day as he makes a video for his unborn son and turns out to be a bit of a creep. (laughs) (laughs) I like it, dude. Yeah, I think that's a very straight-to-the-point, easy setup of what this film entails. And... From week to week, we do like to talk about the people who go into making the film and people who act in front of the camera. And this week, our director and one half of the writing team is Patrick Bryce. And Mr. Bryce is known for some interesting projects. Some of those projects include The Overnight. This is a little bit of a spoiler, but he directs the follow-up to Creep and Creep 2. He's also responsible for corporate animals and the film There's Someone Inside Your House. And along with Patrick Bryce on the writing team, we have Mark Duplass. And Mark, I think a lot of people are going to know because of his role in the FX show, The League. Yeah. Such a good show, man. It's uh, Pete Eckert. Some people might also know him for his works in The Puffy Chair, the film's Baghead, Jeff Who Lives at Home. I was about to say, other than like The League, a lot of the stuff he does is a lot more like indie. Yeah, very, very indie. Which is really cool, man. I watched an interesting interview where he, he talks about liking to work with upcoming filmmakers and actors, etc. So, yeah. And because of that, some of his other projects include stuff like The Lazarus Effect, the films Tully, Goliath. He's also known for Room 104. Some other really cool stuff like The Mindy Project, the film Tammy. 
And uh, because of these two guys, they're also part of the cast, which makes it easy to talk about as well. So our editor on this is Christopher Donlan. Christopher's known for being the editor on some other films, such as The Overnight. He's helped with Togetherness, which Mark DePlaz is a, a part of, for four episodes back in 2016. He's also helped with Haters Back Off, the television show from 2016 as well. He's helped with Creep 2, Duck Butter, Corporate Animals, Paddleton. More recently, Room 104 from 2017 through 2020 for 14 episodes. The music was composed by Kyle Field and Eric Andrew Kuhn. And Kyle's known for composing the music for the shorts Why Me and Young Dracula. And Eric Andrew Kuhn, he's known for helping with such things as The Messy Adventure of Mud, which is in post-production. And While I Breathe, I Hope, and All the Queen's Horses. So a couple of different documentaries, things of that nature. Okay. All right. This was produced by Jason Blum and Mark Duplass. Production companies were Blumhouse Production and Duplass Brothers Productions. The distributors were The Orchard for the 2015 United States, and they helped with all media. The release dates were March 8, 2014 at the South by Southwest Film Festival. This was in Austin, Texas, here in the States. And June 23, 2015, this was stateside here in the States. And I've already mentioned there's only two people on our cast, Patrick Bryce, who plays Aaron, and Mark DePlaz, who plays Joseph. One other person. Yeah. A voice. Yeah, that's a good point. Katie Asselton, who is Mark Duplass's real-life wife. Yeah. And plays Jenny on the uh, league. That's pretty awesome, yeah. Is the voice of Angela. Angela, yeah. And that makes sense that he'd put her in there, right? So, yeah, that rounds out our cast and crew. You already gave us a brief setup of what this film entails. We should give you some warnings. Ooh, this is a weird one for warnings, isn't it? Because it's technically very tame. Yeah, I would agree. There's one conversation that goes incredibly uncomfortable places. Exactly. With spoiler? I mean, we <laughs> should probably warn about the conversation because of what it kind of Context entails. of it, yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't really be a spoiler, would it? But I'm still going to be kind of vague, I think. Um, cool with that. The conversation deals very frankly with rape and bestiality fantasies. Yeah. There's some violence at the end with technically a little bit of blood, but yeah, it's very hard to see the blood. I agree. Because everything happens at a distance. There's more like startles, more so than, I mean, jump scares, I suppose, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's kind of tame in comparison to a lot of stuff we are familiar with, so to speak, in this realm. But it's unsettling. It's found footage, but like there's a part that's kind of like home invasion-y. So that's the kind of warning, I guess, you'd get from this. That's a good point. I can't really think of much else to warn about, right? That sounds like about it. It's a very tame movie, really, for some of the things we've covered. But tame doesn't mean bad, as we'll get into, I suppose. Let's just find out how Creep made a squeal. How does that make you squeal? And so we creep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind doing a little TLC on this. Right? Ooh. Ooh, this movie's great. And in some ways, I think we might have been meant to do this movie this week. As an aside, I already brought it up to you when it happened during the week, but earlier, as I was uh, making use of some of the perks of our job and being able to order something from our beverage bar at work, one of the baristas stopped me and she's like, have you ever watched Creep? Okay, firstly, I will say I thought she said Creed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And I was like, fuck yeah, I love Creed. Trying to convince friend of the show, relative, yeah. Jeff, that he needs to watch it. Once it was finally clarified, I was like, oh shit, Creep? Fuck yeah, he needs to see Creep. Because we're talking about it this I week. I know, what a coincidence, right? <laughs> Happy coincidence on top of it. Also means we probably need to get Riley on the show. I think Apparently so. she has good taste. Nice, man. <laughs> I think that's pretty awesome. So yeah, I'm just going to keep saying creep. Creep, 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 creep. We watched Creep this week. I'd seen it before. You'd seen it before. So this one isn't like first impressions. Exactly. I was super excited to get to watch it again because I do enjoy this. The first time around I watched it, didn't really see it, watch it with a critical eye. It was just like, yeah, okay. the fuck's this? I think it might have been Patrick that finally convinced me to watch it. Yeah, I think likewise. He had talked it up after you'd watched it. Mm-hmm. And it still took me a little while to get to. I finally got around to it. Fucking dug it. This time around, maybe dug it more? But also brings me to some questions. Such as, is there such thing as cringe horror? Because I think we might have found it. <laughs> there are some really cringy moments in this. I was like, this is like, this is like the office of horror movies. Yeah, and I think that's what makes this film unique in that sense is that it makes you feel certain ways while you're watching it it was also even funnier than i remembered this movie's fucking there's some interesting yeah there's some interesting lines and moments and things of that nature anything with peach fuzz some of the best moments (laughs) i agree i don't know where should we start talking about this it's once again it's a pretty simple movie just explaining the setup is something that's almost like half the movie right there. Man, without, yeah, it really is. Without details. I was like, we could just bare bones it and, I guess, delve into the meat of it after that. What I want to say is this is one of those ones, not because you won't be able to follow along because it's complicated, but just go fucking watch it before you hear us talk about it because it's a short flick. It's really good. I think we would both highly recommend it oh, no even doubt. before we get to what made us fucking squeal. But also that way, like, we don't have to pay that much attention. Like, let's just talk about the shit that we like about this fucking yeah, movie because it's cool great. Yeah, I'm with that, man. Partially just because I want to say, like, this is another one of those flicks, like we pointed out with One Cut of the Dead, kind of weirdly inspirational. Yeah. Because it shows how well you can make a good horror movie with very little. Yeah, super minimalistic. Just two guys and essentially just a camera. And a lot of it's just dialogue. I can't remember. Did you have budget info on this? No, but I can't imagine it was very much. Right. If they spent any more than $2 million, it was only because they spent that much to make sure what they were doing was good. But you could do this movie on... A shoestring a, budget, really. If you know what 100%. you're doing. 100%. We could do this tomorrow as long yeah. as we knew what we were doing. Exactly. It's as simple as that, and that's another beauty of this project. They're not using camera tricks or, you know, things you and I have both seen a lot of times over. It's just very simple. It really is very simple, but it's the way they do the stuff on camera that makes it super effective Mm -hmm. because they do keep it realistic. And they set up and give a good reason why the camera's recording all these different things and stuff because sometimes in found footage, especially movies that are pure found footage, it's easy to pick apart bits. Why would you do this? Why would you do that? 
I mean, they <laughs> fucking lampshaded in this one. They do. Joseph, Mark at the end is like, why the fuck didn't you turn around? Uh, that was dumb. <laughs> that was really dumb of you. Yeah, he calls it out. He calls out the thing that the audience is thinking. But he does it in a way that makes sense with the character, that makes sense with the story, and it suddenly makes it all right. Exactly. Maybe it doesn't make it all right for everyone. No, but, but for me, it made it all right. Likewise, it gave it some more substance. It gave it some closure, too, on top of that question, you know? Because let's be honest, Aaron is one of the stupidest characters to ever exist in a horror movie. He's so clueless to keeping himself oh, safe. God. Man. Otherwise, he seems like a great guy. Like he, It's not like he's a mouth breather. Or like, no, no, no. He's just, this is not his world. This is not his genre. <laughs> you know, he makes all the classic mistakes. Yeah, every fucking mistake. But it's all really charming. What fucking movie is it where they go to pick up the hitchhiker and they're like, dude, you can't do that. A fucking horror movie started oh, this yeah, way. Oh, yeah, Detroit Rock City. That's right, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's all I could think of in the very beginning. Like, but when this is also there, how porn like, start, too. <laughs> yeah, in the beginning when he's like, what that's if funny. Yeah. this is a fucking 40-something that just needs to have her needs taken care that's of? That's right. Some foot massages. Who knows what else? And all I could think of was that fucking line from Detroit Rock City. That is City. so funny, man. That's classic. There's some things I picked up on... I think my second time through and definitely my third time through. So the first time through it was a couple of years ago and it wasn't for critical viewing. It was just, yeah, to see what this fun. film's about. Yeah. Which I still enjoy. Sometimes, you know, it's nice to turn off the filter, so to speak, mm-hmm. when you're watching a film because it's easy to start trying to pick it apart. But sometimes you just want to enjoy it, you know? So anyway. And let's be honest, this is one of those films that we said it before. It's a straight ahead story. Yeah. Like, there's not things to pick apart like, ooh, does this mean this? Like we get in something like, I don't know, House That Jack Built. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of metaphors here. Be quite frank, it's pretty straightforward. Which is fine. It just means we can't make as many half-assed fucking (laughs) wondering comments about it. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of Jeff earlier, I was mentioning to him, some of the stuff I like about reviewing films is having those conversations outside of what's on the screen. You know, the what-ifs and... You know, just coming up with your own theories on certain things that you can do with the story or expand upon it, etc. You can kind of do that with this a little bit because there's some ambiguity to the main character. Yes. You know, which makes it fun. There is some closure, too, because I will say this. I did watch the second one. Did you? This okay, week. I still haven't watched it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I'll say that much without spoiling anything. But it does answer some questions. I'll put it that way. Okay. I'm not sure how much I care about spoilers for it, so... For the sake of our audience, we won't talk about it yet, but at the end, let's circle back around to two. Yeah, 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 we can do that. Okay. The Chekhov's axe. Oh, dude. (laughs) That's one of my first notes. It's like, oh, yeah, that's Chekhov's gun right there. (laughs) But gets wonderfully lampshaded in the middle. It does. Because he even fucking, Mark, Joseph, brings it up. He's like, did you think I was going to kill you with the axe? There is one line in that exchange, in that whole conversation I thought was really clever And I know you use that word a lot because I edit, so I hear myself. (laughs) But in this case, I think it holds water. When they're talking about that, he's like, hey, when you saw the axe, you know, what have you, he asked him, Mark DePlaza's character, Joseph, asks Aaron, he says, is there anybody that you want to, like, you know, mend the fence with? I'm going to paraphrasing it. And he's like, yeah, my ex. He's like, your axe? Do you have an axe? (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's interesting because they're the wordplay. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still talking about the axe. Oh, axe to grind. An axe to grind. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. So they're still keeping it relative. And I like that. It's like, 
I know a lot of this was improvised to their conversations because they had the outline of what they wanted to do. They just kind of ran with it. So it kind of plays in, especially upon rewatch, it plays in to how Joseph keeps sort of fucking with him. Like (laughs) I'm in love with you. Cause it's like, we're out here on our first date and you're talking about your ex. Oh, your ex. Yeah, exactly, man. It's funny. Some of it's endearing and charming and things of that nature. But as the story unfolds, you see how sinister it is and how diabolical his whole scheme is. While we're talking about that scene and like things like tubby time happened before oh this, gosh. which we have to talk about. Yeah, but without a doubt. While we're talking about their little <laughs> hike down to the fucking heart. The heart, pool, yeah, yeah. What I thought was interesting was fucking Joseph's asking Aaron. He's like, it's like, oh shit. Or he's telling him, he's like, fucking when I scared you. When you got out of it, there was that second or two where it looked like you wanted to kill me. Yeah. He's like, there was a, what does he say? He says, like, there was a little bit of animal in you. There's a little peach fuzz in you, which at that point, it should be a little bit of a tip off. You're like, oh, Joseph connects peach fuzz with murderous intent. He's like, if your animal side is a little bit of peach fuzz, then what he was saying about peach fuzz in the previous scene, it should be ringing bells like, oh, all of that's bullshit. Yep, exactly. Even the story and the song and all that stuff, you're like, really? (laughs) Let's just work backwards. Because almost the scene before that, before they head out, is where we talk about Peach Fuzz for the first time. Yeah, he's going down to grab some jackets, Aaron, that is, and that's where he discovers the mask. (laughs) And yeah, that's probably one of the more infamous scenes in the movie. Well, I love it because it's silly as shit. The lyrics, the dance, it's all stupid. The mask and the movements are still creepy. Yes, they are. Because they don't coincide with the lyrics. I think part of it is also, it's a little bit what you brought up with Sinister. Why all the deaths in Sinister hit so big is because, as inventive as they were, it all plays into things that you can very easily imagine. Drowning, suffocating through being hung, that sort of thing. The Peach Fuzz thing, like... One of man's natural predators for a long time yeah. of our history was fucking wolves. And we might be really used to dog faces now because of, I mean, man's best friend. But if you have a wolf face with hands outstretched towards your face, yeah, and yeah. it doesn't matter what he's saying. That's a creepy. primal fear. Yeah, it's very visceral. <laughs> and I think that use, uh, specifically with that mask, too, it's, man, that's a killer mask. No puns either, but yeah, I don't care how much good intentions you're trying to put on it. It still looks bad. Mm-hmm. Tubby time. <laughs> yes. How awkward too, right? That was like right after they had met. That's like the Michael Scott bit that I'm thinking of. Like, <laughs> like who is going to... Wow. He tells him, like in his setup, he's like, I want you to get just who I am so my son can see who I am. And then instead of just seeing who he is, he starts pantomiming what he would do with his infant son. Oh my gosh, dude. But the kid wouldn't be watching this as an infant. No, because the infant wouldn't understand what he's seeing. So So it ends up being weird anyway, because you would end up being, I mean, earliest. I mean, I don't have kids, Uh, so I I can't make this call for (laughs) any sort of certain. I would say earliest that you would show a kid and expect him to understand what it is he's seeing would be 
like seven or eight. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think like I'm trying to put myself in this very hypothetical kid's shoes. Right, right. And how I would feel if I never got to meet my father and I'm getting to see this thing he made for me. But the thing he made for me is this really weird video of him acting like he's washing me as an infant. Right. For the first time. Because that's what he and his father did. Uh, that's the story he's going with. And, like, the intention is... Right. It's good intentions, is, if that were the case. It's legitimately sweet. That doesn't make it any less awkward as fuck. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> in practice. Man. And just thinking about the reality of what this is. <laughs> During that particular scene, there's two things that struck a chord with me. And one of them was how good Mark Duplass is at making facial expressions. And two, how eerily similar he looks to Quagmire. <laughs> oh, shit. That's when funny. he does that shit. That's fucking funny. That's true, though. <laughs> And I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of funny. But uh, no, just that whole scene, too. He's playing it up. And I think there's some interesting things in dialogue that can be easily missed. I was going to say, I think the Joseph character is super enigmatic, but some sort of truth trickles through some of these things that he's making up. He kind of set it up, in my opinion, even before that particular scene, the bathtub scene, the tubby time. He mentions... The Michael Keaton movie, My Life, where, you know, the guy's dying, wants to... And then later on in the film, he tells him that he was an actor. And I'm like, well, if that is some of the truth trickling in, he's still acting. He's putting on a show. He's Mm -hmm. pretending this whole time. And he's using these references. He's got something familiar that he can act out to make it seem legit. The other bit of truth that I thought seeped in in that scene is... I mean, this is the spoiler section. At the end of the movie, we know for a fact that this isn't the only time Joseph has done this. He's a serial killer. And so this is what my father did with me. That's his only reference. And so he has the kid being fixated on the fire. He says that. And you're like, okay, that's a little bit creepy for the kid. And I say that as a kid that was really into fire. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point, man. Why else would he use that line and those gestures? And I think that's the interesting thing is because there's ambiguity in his character, we don't know who he is really. Mm-hmm. You know, we find that out. Yeah, it's interesting choices is what I'm getting at too. That makes you wonder how much of his real self is trickling in at these moments. How's your heart? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There's something they say. They call it the heart rock, right? Mm-hmm. When they go on that trail and all that stuff. There's a part of me where I was like, man, it'd be real easy to do a Heart Rock Cafe. <laughs> I was like, that would have been a perfect opportunity for them to use that cafe and name it that. <laughs> but they didn't. I just loved how stupidly shallow but perfectly like <laughs> West Coast have money white person Gosh, it yeah. was for him to just be like, <laughs> Yeah, so there's a legend on this trail we're going to. Me and my wife heard it from this Hispanic lady that we, what was it, like bought tacos from? Yeah, yeah, just, okay. But the the gullibility of rich white people when it comes to miracle cures offered by anybody brown. 
That's a solid point, man. How many times have you seen that be played out? And just how, like, like that's another thing where Aaron, a part in the back of his mind, should be like, why are we doing all this when all you heard this from was a fucking taco truck lady? Yeah, like, come on, man. And how do you know exactly where this thing is that I'm getting lost getting out here when all you heard from it was a fucking taco truck lady? I liked the interactions they have leading into, you know, the discovery of the spot. And one of them, I know I've probably mentioned it before, it was a prank I used to pull on my younger sisters where we would go into the woods and take a walk or whatever, you know. (laughs) And I would just like, oh, did you hear that? You know, and there was nothing. I was just pretending like something. And then I would take off on my sisters just far enough to where I could sneak behind a tree and wait for them to start freaking out and run past me. (laughs) And some of the shit he was doing kind of reminded me of that. When he was fucking with Aaron. I was going to originally going to keep this towards the end a little bit after we've brought up some of the other shit he does. But I'm kind of curious to your take on it now that we are talking about Joseph fucking with Aaron. How in control do you think Joseph is? Because to me, it seems like some of this fucking with Aaron is just him doing something so that he can keep himself from just killing him then. I think that's a solid point as well because he's already got him. The trap's already worked. Um, and he's kind of yeah. just seeing how long he can string him along before he does something where he has to end it. I think that's a very solid point. And the reason I say that is because there's enough evidence in this film to where you can lead to that conclusion. You know, like there are certain things he does that keep it going, to keep the thing going. Yeah, there's things that where he keeps it going and where it seems like he knows when Aaron's had enough. And so yeah. I can't have him going to the authorities. Nope. I need to. I need to end it somehow. End it now. Yep. And it works efficiently. <laughs> That's the weird thing, because I feel like he's in complete control of the entire situation. But I don't know in any given moment how much he's in control of himself. Yeah. And how much he's having to do these things just to give himself the rush as it goes along. Yeah, I think there are moments where he's just kind of winging it too in the Mm -hmm. moment where you're right, he's not in complete control, you know. Yes, he still has the upper hand, but not much of one if things were to get out of hand. There are certain moments. In that exact moment. Right, there are certain moments where, you know, it could have been it for him too Mm -hmm. had Aaron played his cards, you know, in a certain manner. If Aaron would have just took his fucking evidence from the get-go. I know, man. (laughs) Shit. Dumb as shit. He is real fucking dumb. I'm just going to get rid of this first tape I get sent. I'm like, just pretend like it didn't happen. I'm like, no, 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 nope, no, no. Nope. Nope. That's the first, mm. no, nope, first mistake, first problem. The thing where I feel like Joseph is definitely in control of the entire situation, like he's keeping the big picture in mind. He knows that he might have to end it at any second, and he has to keep an eye on what's actually happening, is the fact that we know from the get-go he's already spying yeah. on joseph because he has that reveal in the middle yeah there's like, their shame stories they the share. shame yeah. story there's a part towards the beginning or maybe even at the beginning of the pancake lunch i can't remember but there's a point where he asks aaron he's like is it still running he's like yeah he goes i already knew that <laughs> and you're like okay so he's paying attention to that and then at the very end of the movie very end we find out he knew about aaron's camera yeah, there was things he was like, that was smart, that was smart. But even that very last shot, he knew that camera was there the entire time. Oh, of he course. comes right up. That's so good. 
He's in the overall control. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In the overall yeah. picture. Of the, yeah, without a doubt, man. Uh, because you find out specifically, like, yeah, there's all these tapes. It's not his first foray into this shit, man. Mm-hmm. He kind of has a, an understanding of how this stuff works. Otherwise, he wouldn't have that whole cache of DVDs and film and all that other stuff. We were just talking about the pants. So, <laughs> fucking shame lunch. His pants story? I didn't even catch this what would be my second time watching it. The third time I did, Joseph's manipulation in that scene is really neat. Because he brings up the shame, and he basically almost forces Aaron to go first. But as he re-brings it back, he makes it seem like it was Aaron's idea. He's like, <laughs> oh, can I share a story Yeah, now? exactly. You can tell that, like, he sort of took aback for a second, but he's like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. Like, and it's almost like he flips it on him for a second. The whole point it's is he's, he's playing with him the entire time. Yeah, that's his game. That's yeah. his angle is to manipulate. I think what's interesting, too, to note, there's a, a scene, I want to say it was in the kitchen, right when Aaron was wanting to leave and they decided, hey, you know, it was probably a good idea for me to just stay and, you know. No, yeah. Uh, but you see how fucking tall Aaron is in comparison to Joseph. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's interesting because in most cases, a guy of that stature should be able to manhandle, you know, Mark Duplaz's character in that situation. But no, because of the manipulation, because he's taking advantage of his kindness and it doesn't matter the size of the guy, he can still strike fear in him. He's a weird one, but I feel like I've known people similar enough to Mark Duplass's character that I would kind of buy it. I think I would end up being manipulated by him. Yeah, maybe not to. as badly as we keep pointing oh out Aaron's gosh. a dumbass. At right. a certain no. point, I definitely like I'm when, having red flags going on. Yeah, when somebody's videos. But the way he's able to disarm situations and the way he keeps his overall demeanor kind of chill, you know, kind of chill part. and believable you kind of just believe that he's kind of that kind of guy yeah just and like, i feel like i've met that kind of guy and they weren't serial killers they were just kind of weird happy guys you know what i mean and i don't yeah. know if that's a universal like i don't know if everybody knows that guy but i feel like if i know that guy somebody else has to know now that's that guy. i'm glad you brought that up because that was a thought i had i was like how many times have you ran into a character in real life that share some of these qualities you know, but it doesn't have the murderous side of them. Right. Like, they're, it's just awkward. socially awkward. Right. But happy, not, like, socially awkward in, like, a depressed way. They're right. Just like, and I overshare. <laughs> yeah, they're forthcoming, like, you know, I'm sorry if, you know, I was being weird. And it can be a little we off-putting. Just met, I'm going to hug you because this isn't going to be weird soon because I hug a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going to go ahead and crack this. Well, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes it's okay, man. Sometimes yeah, those are good people, and sometimes you know it's like, okay, it's not. I gotta go home. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I gotta go. Peace. You know, I can only hang out with you so often. <laughs> there was some kind of neat red herrings in this when they go back to the house and they have the drink. Fucking Joseph doesn't drink his at first, and you think it's gonna mean something. It doesn't. No, that was a good psych out. What did you but think about? <laughs> I was gonna say, what did you think about him uh, passing out and calling out the peach fuzz? <laughs> I think what's more important is what happens before that. We'll oh, get yeah, to that. Because I think that sets that up in a weirder way. No, I agree. I agree. And I wonder, I wonder too, I know we're going to talk about, but I wonder how much he was still cognizant as well. Potential spoilers. Because we do hear Aaron talk to an Angela 
Do you find out who that was into? No. Okay. Okay, so everything is super vague then. First, does Angela even exist? Before we even tackle whether Angela is his sister or his wife. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Does Angela even exist? Did that rape even happen? You know, that might be part of the how much of the truth is trickling in. Right. There might have been some form of that. Maybe not in that same exact story. And if Angela doesn't exist, who the fuck was that on the phone? That's another thing. I'm like, okay, you can say, was that a staged call? Was she in on it? Was the person before Aaron, perhaps, looking for her brother? And, you know, like Mm -hmm. maybe Mark DePlaza's character was taking advantage of that guy who was, which I'll explain what some of this maybe entails. So, yeah, there's a number of things. Maybe that is his sister. Maybe not. I don't know. And there's, she's just not willing to go to the authorities? Right. And not only that, but the phone call starts to break up in a weird kind of mm-hmm. digitalized way. And there was a part of me wondered, was this like a pre-recorded call? Oh. You know? And he was just like, oh, I'm going to activate the call because as soon as he goes back upstairs, he's gone. So I'm saying, how much was he really drugged? Right. I mean, he's in control enough that he's not an idiot. And he's constantly calling out the feeling of something when he takes that drugged drink. Yeah. That's not weird to you. <laughs> so he would know what's going on. If anyone... Yeah, he's is, not dumb. But he drinks it. He's playing the game. He's playing the part. Do you think Angela exists? Oh, man. Part two is any indicator. To what degree? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I know. I can say this. There's no resolve in part two. It's not even brought up. So I don't know. I really don't. It's I like it though because it's so ambiguous. But also, it's <laughs> I mean, there's it there's legit. definitely a part in this movie, the first time through, the good part of this movie, because so far it's been good every time through. But I feel like it's changed for different reasons each time I've watched it. That first time through, hearing the story first about huh. the rape of his wife, which at the end, like I thought, you know, he was just gonna play it off but he straight out said he's like i raped her and i was like well way to not pull any punches and try to like sugarcoat this shit like that's what it was then you have the punch 10 minutes later like wife i'm his sister and suddenly hold on wait a minute and we've already seen the ways that joseph is acting like he gets super attached super quickly which who knows how much of that is actually an act or is actually part of whatever makes him the serial killer that he is. Right. Because of the way he manipulates people, I think it is a way to make people drop their guards because he comes off overly affectionate, Mm -hmm. wants to hug, wants to be a little bit of the center of attention, you know, wants to engage people. Mm -hmm. So people kind of go along with it. But then, yeah, by the end of the movie, you're starting to question what's fully real and... That makes yeah. that scene even crazier if it's literally entirely fiction. Man, what did you think about once Joseph wakes up and he's out there on the deck and he's still like, I don't want to die and doing all that stuff. Oh, right. And then, you know, Aaron tells he's like, I know. I talked to Angela and he bolts, puts on his peach fuzz. That was one of the best fucking things when he's just in front of the door, just like yeah. giving it the full on galer from fucking Letterkenny. <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. It's like, oh, I want some of that. 
He's like, are you trying to scare me? Because I'm terrified right now. I like the way it played out because it goes into that really good fucking trash bag fake out. Yeah. Which, if the end of this movie didn't end the way it does, and it just ended without him commenting on what we've been being shown, then it wouldn't make sense to show that. That's something that you'd be able to pick apart. The end of it makes it make sense why it would just cut that way. I can see that too, man. But I am curious how that fight played out that Aaron was actually able to get through and get away when, let's be honest, Joseph has a lot more experience at this. You're right. I don't know. That's that's pretty wild. Because he kind of mentions a little bit. He's like, I got out. I had to get my car towed. That's the thing. He's a big guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he could probably easily, if he wanted to, if he really put his effort into it, you know, overpower Mark Duplass's character. Easy, right. You know. But anyway, anyway, what that scene, what you were saying when he sent him that tape with the bags and all that shit, it made me wonder this because this is a little bit of a spoiler. I mean, that one was at the very end. You don't see him, but you hear him taking a phone call and he says his name is Bill and whatnot. Well, he does allude to it in the second one where he likes to take on the persona of his victims. Right, because the little bit I know about the second one is he's calling himself Aaron, right? Right, so it makes me wonder, did he kill somebody and was it Bill in those bags? Mm. I don't know, but that's maybe. Mm -hmm. There's a maybe there, so... Even though it was a quote-unquote psych out, he tells him that. I don't think maybe, maybe not, because he's fucking crazy, dude. (laughs) And then he sends him that wolf after Aaron talks about it in his quote-unquote video diary. You know, the nightmare he had. The way Joseph talks about the way he feels about wolves is maybe not obvious. At least edge of obvious. Kind of the way he's professing to feel about Aaron. And maybe even explain some of his serial killer reasoning about why he would then have to kill Aaron to find the beautiful stuff inside. Yeah. That's one of those things where it feels like it's truth seeping out because we know that he continues to return to the Peach Fuzz character. So things he says about wolves yeah. are probably more likely to be quote unquote true, I would I say. Think so, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty solid. <clears throat> pretty straightforward movie i think we're actually finding quite a bit to hmm and ha about i know right (laughs) but that's kind of the fun thing about it because they took their time these two guys patrick and mark to make this film i think they said it took like maybe a year and a half to film it Mm -hmm. you know they would i guess just do like you know minimal shooting here and there just kind of play out some shit see what happened i think they said they had like three different endings that they you know played out but of course they used this one so they experimented and they gave themselves you know, a little bit of freedom with improvisation to see what happens. Mark Duplass mentioned that initially he wanted to make a film about a dying guy. And he's like, thankfully I didn't do it because, you know, kind of depressing. But <laughs> he used some of that inspiration from that. And, of course, this with the storyline from earlier with Tubby Time and all that shit. <laughs> the reason he wanted to work with Patrick Bryce, this is interesting, is that Patrick Bryce's girlfriend he said at the time was mark Duplass's and his wife's nanny oh shit for their girls and because of that you know they formed a friendship and what have you but at film school patrick bryce said he went abroad and studied in paris and he did a documentary about the last 
porn theater in Paris, maybe in the entire world, that plays exclusively 35-millimeter film oh. hmm. at their theater. Yeah. And because... So classy porn. <laughs> he says because, you know, it's just... Or hipster hipster porn. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he said what it is. It's, it's like it was a, a porn theater for old, like, veterans, you know, guys mm-hmm. who don't know how to access the internet and shit like that. But for old people, essentially. So the guy's losing money, but that's not the point. He's, that's the shit for them, you know? That's fucking... Oh, my God. Weird side tangent, but that's really funny because there's a really famous early Tell Em Steve Dave podcast episode where they go to the Collinswood flea market and they talk to the guy that ran like the porn tent there. And wow. he's like the same he's like, the reason this stays afloat is because there's still a lot of old guys that don't know how to use the internet. And so they come to me <laughs> <laughs> and not on me when they got, <laughs> but I thought that was interesting. He's like, he liked Mark deposits. He liked the way that Patrick Bryce kind of like in this film, it was just, his interactions, just letting the guys talk, mm-hmm. you know, letting them come out of their shell. And it becomes more of an interesting story when people open up to you and you're just kind of the vessel. They worked on this. And I think in conjunction, too, they said that they released this film and Patrick Rice's other film, The Overnight. They released them with each other. And I thought that was kind of cool. He didn't want to kind of uh, overshadow some of the other works that The Orchard were doing at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, and apparently, like, for that particular distributor, this was, like, the big one for them. So, yeah, man. I know we've mentioned it time and time again, but just for two people, essentially, in a film, you know, one voiceover part. Mm -hmm. But, man, super effective, and it can come off creepy because of the realism of it. Like, how many times have you come across, you know, a Craigslist ad or something where you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) What is this shit? And you come across some weird people. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of Tusk, too, isn't it? Precisely. No matter which avenue, whether it's magazines, newspapers, in this case, internet, you're going to find some weird folk, you know? People are going to find their way in the mainstream somehow. And This is another example of it. And sometimes it can go awry mm-hmm. in a very bad way. So basically at this point in the movie, like, the flips happened. Like, now we're going full on, like, there's a lot of almost like home invasion sequences, that sort of that's thing. That's really good. One of the things that is super genius in this movie is, and I touched on it earlier, a lot of the comedy with Mark Duplass's character through the movie, because it's a fucking funny movie, and we might not have been pointing out all the moments that it's funny, but it's really fucking weird cringe humor funny, if you're into that. The cringe factor is kind of genius, because I feel like it makes you physically have a lot of the same like physiological responses as like the onset of almost like being scared or anxious. And so instead of building tension through like the way, like a thriller or a normal horror movie might where the tension is, you know, gradually ramped up as you know, what the stakes are. Like dread and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. They build up the cringe and then flip it on you. So your body's already primed for something that is, 80% 80% similar. So when it makes the flip, it's still super easy to do that. And you're already kind of primed to be like, okay, now what the fuck is going on? I like that, dude. And you're right. They do a good job of that. Where all that cringe is, it's believable. You've probably experienced it to some degree or another. And all it's really doing is prepping your body physiologically for the turn into horror. Yeah. So these guys did a really good job, I think, 
just letting this film breathe and, you know, just doing something that's natural, you know, like this is a genuinely creepy film when you think about the things at stake. Like, who knows, maybe you have run into that creepy person and you didn't realize it until much later, but I appreciate it for that factor, man. I love getting to see the fucking creepy Joseph making his tape of creeping around in the room and getting the fucking lock of hair. Yeah, man. That was good. That was good home invasion. The thing that really kicked that off, and it was pretty obvious, but it still was effective, was when Aaron goes out to check on it and goes down and we're like, you're expecting at any moment for Joseph to jump out in that alleyway Mm -hmm. and it never happens. But what it leads to him is sneaking in that fucking house (laughs) so he can fuck with him once again. I love that bit where like, he, go, he goes and turns all the lights on and then you just see Mark in the fucking... <laughs> yeah, in the background. Just dips. Pop in and then he pops out. Yeah. Well, that lets you know he's still in control. He still has an effect over him. I was looking to see if moments like that happened throughout the movie and I just missed it. Yeah, no, that's like the only time. I was really hoping there were other moments where they were just like, I'm in the background looking at you, bitch. I know, I was kind of hoping it. There was... You know, some noises and stuff. There was something, too, I noticed. This is a little bit of a spoiler, so sorry in advance. But Joseph, he does a whistle in this film, too, Mm. which is a little bit more prominent in the second one. Okay. Which I think is really cool. But they play a little bit on it in this one. I don't think it was their intention, but maybe that was something like, oh, maybe we can carry over into the second one. So stuff like that. There's There's some good shit like that in here. We kind of already commented on it a little bit, but the meetup at the end. Man. Dude, the axe. For some reason, weirdly satisfying. Yeah, because it's like, I think I even... expecting s- a cutaway. I was about to say that. I was like, even after the first time watching it, I was like, I can't remember if... They- oh, yeah, they, they do. They do show you clunk right on the fucking head. It's like the kill oh. list hammer. You're not expecting to see it, and when you do see it, you're like... <laughs> first, it's not glad. very explicit. No, no, no. It's just like, wow, shit. That was, it was brutal. Mm-hmm. But because of the suddenness of it, too, it's a weird way of saying maybe it, it dampens the effect a little bit, but it's still no less brutal. It's just like, what the... What? And this is another movie, like Sinister, where because of the setup, I'm going to give them the end jump scare. Yeah. It makes sense with everything we know about Joseph's character for him to do that at the very end. And I like that, man. Ah! <sighs> And because he set it up the whole time. Mm-hmm. That was his way of fucking with Aaron. That was like his send-off. Ending with that jump scare works. Yeah, I think so too, man. Because like, of what the movie is. This film, I know we've said it once again, it's just super effective, man. You don't need a huge script. If you have the right vision, the right story, and the right people, you can make it happen. You know, Sometimes you have to take risks and... I don't know how much risk was involved, but I can say they did a really good job of just kind of going with it, you know, and see what happens. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about it. It's fucking great. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, check it out, man. It's, it's kind of, I think because of certain, you know, groups of people who follow films in a certain way. This one, I think for a found footage kind of faux documentary style film, definitely one of the better ones. Yeah, definitely. Ooh. Now I'm trying to think, like, where would this go on on my found footage list? Well, this is definitely up there in the, I'd say, top three somewhere. I would agree. Cannibal Holocaust, of course. Still a great one. This. What's some other found footage ones that I like? I mean, I still like Savage Land. I know we're a little bit biased there, but it's a good one. Maybe Savage Land. I was just fucking recommending that. Paul Keepsy Tapes. Oh, that's true. 
if QC tapes might yeah. beat out Savage Land. Yeah, me. I would I would say sorry, but yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still up there, top five Savage Land. It's definitely over. Like sorry. I mean, even Sinister, you could say. Is, I was about to say, sorry, Sinister. I really yeah. enjoyed you. I think there's things that still, you do extremely I'd, well. I think I'd put Savage Land over it just slightly. Creeps also going over Sinister for me. Mm-hmm. Creeps going over Paranormal Activity. That's not even a question at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad, man. And it's another one of those Blumhouse films, too, where it still fits the mold, but it's a little bit of a departure because of the realism to it, I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, compared to some of those films like Insidious and what have you, you know, where they're a little bit more on the supernatural bent. This is rooted in realism. So I appreciate that about these films. So I enjoyed it. I'm literally just looking up found footage horror movies right now to see if there's other ones that I would count. Oh, I mean, we talked about it on the show. It counts as horror. Troll Hunter beats out oh, man, quite yeah. a few. Yeah. That movie is awesome. <laughs> Troll Hunter beats great. out quite a few. <laughs> yeah, it does kind of make you want to rethink it. <laughs> right. Yeah, because the movie's so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Damn. But still, you can make an argument for it being in... Absolutely. Top three, top five, somewhere in the, this film, as we're talking about Creep, or any of the other films that we mentioned, too. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be one to you know, jump at you if, if you had them somewhere in the mix. Absolutely. We need to figure out what we're doing next week. <laughs> As is a common our, refrain for us. eternal refrain. Yeah. So we're going to continue getting ourselves inspired, and we're going to figure that out. But for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms? Out. Peach fuzz. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ats. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.